But one more. Uh, in your bulletin, you'll notice there's a blue card. And as we head into the holidays, I'm convinced that God wants us to do one thing, and that's to pray for the lost. And, and this would be an opportunity for you to just put down five people who need to know Jesus. And maybe you can keep this in your Bible for your devotions or your devotional book or whatever you use there. But I would encourage you, matter of fact, let me just take 15 seconds, write one name on there right now that you might be begin to pray for. And um, yeah, write that name down. And even as I pray, would you just maybe God would bring that right person to you. But um, we want to pray for people who need to know Jesus. Um, but let me pray for the sermon as well. Father, we thank you for your grace. And Lord, we recognize that we're at a time where so many people need you and need to know your love and your grace and your forgiveness. So Lord, stir our minds. Help us see people as we approach a, such a busy season of Thanksgiving and beyond. Would you just help us see the faces of people who need you? Whether it's a family member, work, friendships, Lord, people need you. We recognize that, so we, we give that to you. But Lord, just take the word today, and would you transform our hearts with it and our minds, and we want this to honor you as well. These things we pray in your name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading the text. It comes from Mark chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, you can follow along, or you can follow on the screen there in the bulletin. But here's how it begins today. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not unlawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, and he grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now we come to another text where there's these tension points between Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. And there's another clash, couple clashes that are coming here. But here's where at times I think we've got to remember there's, there's a, an aspect of Bible interpretation. I'll just kind of call you back to this. There's the meaning of the passage, what the author intended, and, and then there's the application of the text. The meaning really is rooted in history, but the application may vary, and that's how we approach it generally on a Sunday, Sunday morning. But I want to give you the three aspects of the meaning of the text this morning right up front. 
because we're not going to dig too much into those. But number one, Jesus is exposing the darkness and the futility of legalism. He's addressing it here. Pretty hardcore. And number two, Jesus is revealing his identity of being Jehovah, the Lord. The whole book of Mark, time after time, he's revealing himself that I am the Messiah, I am the King, I'm Lord. But then that third point, Jesus here is giving us some clear understanding about the Sabbath, of really what it means. So those two stories, plucking grain, healing the man, is where we want to focus this morning. But I want to jump into the issue of legalism first. And I want to put up a definition on the screen. Let me give you a technical definition from Baker's Theological Dictionary. And it says this, the term legalism commonly denotes preoccupation with form at the expense of substance. Then it goes on, it's used to designate one who bringeth the law, the works of the law, into justification. So it's form, the forms of a religion, really over a relationship. And oftentimes it's added, those forms are added to what it means to come and know God. But I want to give you another one that I found that's a little broader and I think really applies to the passage today. Look what it reads here, legalism is the tendency to treat extra-biblical principles as if God has said it, but indeed has not. It also includes looking at others with suspicion or with judgment when they don't live according to those extra-biblical beliefs. Now, I think there's actually even a couple more pieces to the issue of legalism where people are trapped here. At times, I think they look to gain favor from God and to get some kind of a spiritual blessing out of keeping those extra-biblical rules and behaviors. And consequently, I think the other piece there is they tend to look down at people and go, you know what, I'm more spiritual than you because I keep these perceived rules. And so understand, that really is at the heart of where these Pharisees were at at the time of Jesus here. They became experts in keeping the rules that were not even from God. And the extra rules dominated their lives at times. Look at, for example, look at verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. Oftentimes there were paths through the fields, and many assumed that maybe they were leaning over, they were kind of right on the edge, and they were kind of walking by, and they were grabbing the heads of grain. Okay, that's what many people think. But here's, you got to pause and think, how did the Pharisees see them? See, there must have been this place where they were watching or following somewhere behind them and waiting to want to pounce on them. And obviously they they'd come running up to him and they, they say, Jesus, you've broke the Sabbath. Your disciples have broke the Sabbath. Now, Understand the Sabbath. It comes from the Ten Commandments. And it says, On the seventh day we're to rest from our labor. Now, but the Old Testament isn't so specific on what does that really mean and look like. That phrase is really quite broad in the Ten Commandments, a little bit vague. But catch this, the rabbis, the, 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 the Pharisees, what they did is they began to add to fill in the gaps of what really it meant 
for the Sabbath. And they ended up, at the time of Jesus, they had ended up, actually they were in writing, 39 different regulations to help God fill in the gaps of what it meant to rest on the Sabbath. For example, if you were writing, you picked up a pen and you wrote an A, you were okay. But if you wrote A, B, you just broke the Sabbath. And if you decide, you know what, i got to erase that. So you erase one of them, you were okay. But if you erase two of them, you just broke the Sabbath. If you stitched, sewed, you could do one stitch. But if you went two stitches, you broke the Sabbath. Do you catch how stifling this was? You could not bake on the Sabbath. You couldn't knead bread on the Sabbath. Any ladies here? Are you planning on baking some cookies today or have something in the oven? You just broke the Sabbath. Do you understand the tension there? And on this list was a commandment not to thresh or to reap any grain. And because the disciples grabbed that, and they probably, it was headed out at the time, and obviously they were just getting the kind of the chafe off of it there. And, and they come running up to him, you just broke the Sabbath because you were threshing and reaping grain. See, I understand what happened is the Sabbath actually became a burden for people. And it was harder to rest on the Sabbath than it was to work. Now, in my reading, I also discovered one thing as well that I did not know. About 75, 80 years after Christ, there was a re-emergence of much legalism. Matter of fact, some would say that it was actually worse than at the time of Christ. And they gave an illustration where if you took a chair outside and you drugged that chair across the dirt and it created a scratch in the dirt, you were plowing at that point. But, but you see where legalism goes. It, it makes up rules. And that's the, that was the name of the game here. So Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and even he heals this, this man with a withered hand, and it drove them crazy. But you think of the attitude of these men always watching to catch Jesus. And do you realize that one of the signs, I think, of a, of a legalist is they're looking to catch people at what they're doing wrong especially in order to judge them. They're not looking for what's right in terms of encouraging them. And oftentimes it is so much centered around extra biblical issues. So the Pharisees loved and they took the duty to fill in the gaps that God didn't give. But I think there's an application for us in this area of legalism as well. The the first one there, are we looking for what's wrong for with people? To somehow, do we assume that we know what's right all the time? Or are we looking toward others to find what is good and noble and honorable to encourage? Now, I also believe this, is that when people get trapped in legalism, they really don't like to sit in a mirror and look at their own lives. They don't like to look at their shortcomings. But the truth is, any of us can become legalistic. And the reality is that legalism can come in and creep into a church and become the DNA of a church or even a denomination or an organization. And it's what there's this tone of nitpick, 
And let's judge. Let's watch and be suspicious and then judge. See, that's the tone of that. But now i got to stop and pause because we never are called to dismiss sin. Matter of fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, uh, it talks about judging those within the church and he was going after them because they weren't dealing with it. But think of the few things that we judge and we can become legalistic on. You know, I heard a few of you, you celebrate Santa Claus. Naughty. And I know that there's a few families, you dressed your kids up in Halloween contest costumes. <laughs> Shame on you. You're not spiritual. And you know what? I've heard that a few of you, you drink a wine with your meal once in a while. God's going to get you, you know. Now, for the tape, I go, I'm sarcastic, okay? For the, if someone listens to me, they might believe that I'm saying that. But understand legalism. What it does, it wants the right to define what is spiritual and what is not spiritual. Legalists want to define our righteousness by extra-biblical things that are made up. And oftentimes, most of the time, they leave out any form of love and grace. And to love one another really isn't on their radar. And what's love got to do with it? When I was growing up, there was a verse that was used and we were taught. I remember it being used in church and even at home at times. You kind of were told to memorize it. I want to put it on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, look at how it reads. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, years later, I, I was reading a book called Lifestyle Evangelism by Will, uh, Joe Aldrich, and he pointed out something, and he was using it, he compared it to a different version, a more literal one than the King James, and he went to the ASB, and I'm going to put that on the screen. Look how it, New American Standard uses it. Abstain from every form of evil. Appearance isn't in the original manuscripts. Matter of fact, the New King James has taken it out. But the accusation here really is, is surrounding this idea that Jesus, you're appearing evil. You're, you're touching a leper. You're, you're spending time with clack. And the appearance of that is that you are not a righteous person. Plucking grain. Jesus, you're showing your disciples are doing this? Don't you know that this appears that they're breaking the Sabbath? See, if one gets to decide the appearance of evil, what it really is, then one has the right to judge the hearts and the attitudes of a heart. And you go, only God has the right to do that. Now, and I understand this. We are to avoid evil. That, that's what that New American Standard says. Avoid evil. And, and I want to show you this. Let me put Colossians 3.5 on the screen. Look how it, Paul writes it here. He's actually combating some legalism here as well. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, 
passion, all of those are in the, in the sexual area, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked and when you were living in them. But now you must put with them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Folks, there is not a lot of gray area in this list of sins. Do we realize that? But when legalism puts the extra biblical pieces on top of it, and by the way, if you're a, a teenager or a young adult here, you live in one of the most challenging times in this area. From the fact that this is that the world has taken some even on this list and said it's good. Kind of the new social morals of the day. And I'd remind you, you've got to go back to the scriptures and go, what is God's heart? What is God's intent in terms of what is real sin and what is, is, is not so black and white in that sense? Look to the scriptures for that. But let me put up a piece of the next story here as well. Look at it, verse 3, verse 5. A man with a hand comes, is shriveled up. And in verse 5, and he looked around at them, so Jesus asked him to come up to him. But he looked at them, look at this, with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus was not happy with these men. And the reality, what he was accusing them, you understand, they didn't care about this man with the shriveled hand. They were more concerned about their rules than the man that was sitting there whose dignity, he didn't have much of a hand. See, it was a lack of love that existed in the hearts of these men. Here was a man with a disability and the religious people did not care. And Jesus just gave this man great dignity. He heals him. He makes him whole. But these Pharisees, you understand, legalism just kills the grace and the love. And then they run off. I don't have it on the screen. Remember, they run off. The Herodians, if you remember, the Herodians are the, are the, the Jews that have consorted with the, with the Romans. They've connected with the Roman government. And the Pharisees actually hated the Herodians. And yet they go off and they conspire to how to get rid of Jesus. Do you see the hearts of these people? They want to define what righteousness is. But let me keep going because there's another purpose as well. Look at verse 25. Chapter 2, and he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? And also he gave it to those who were with him, and he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he's saying, haven't you guys read the scriptures? Where David was permitted to violate the Sabbath? He goes into the temple, he, he takes the bread that's on the altar, the showbread, and he takes it and he divides it up amongst his men. 
He had just defiled. That would have been harsh in those terms. But catch what Jesus is doing here. He's more than hinting and saying that the Sabbath wasn't created for some spiritual sense. It was created for man, for rest. It was for man's benefit. And, and I get the right to decide what is the Sabbath. You catch the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, I decide. Not you guys. I decide. Matter of fact, let me show you the parallel passage in, in Matthew chapter 12. I want to put it on the screen because it's critical and it gives you a hint why they were so angry with them. Look how it reads. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Same story, same time, okay? Matthew's writing, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Point himself. And if you had known this, what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That phrase is from Hosea 6 6, and it's speaking at a time when Israel is not repentant. And he's they're going after the Israelites because of their unrepentance, and they know that. And it goes on, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You see how he's pointing back to himself. The Sabbath was about the graciousness of God. God created the Sabbath for our benefit. And I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm greater than the temple. So he scolds them, you should have known this. Love is the goal, not rote obedience. Like Hosea? See, he's claiming the right to define what the Sabbath really is. I'm greater than David. I'm greater than the Sabbath. I'm greater than the temple. Now, in this issue of him being Lord, I think there's a very hard application that, we, that comes out of this. As we walk through this world, and I'll put it up for, on the screen for your notes, are we allowing Jesus really to be Lord in our lives, over our lives? Are we allowing Jesus to challenge us if there's legalistic tendencies in our lives? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us, turning away from those sins even in Colossians 3? Are we turning in repentance and seeking Him and giving the love that He deserves and wants? Are we seeking Him in His kingdom? It's a hard question, very simple question, but very hard. But let me go on to the third area. We need to take a peek at this Sabbath because there are some things I think that speak to us this morning. And to be honest, there are different views. I recognize that in churches of today. Uh, when Deanna and I did adult foster care in Vancouver for a number of years, and one of the gals that would come on Sunday morning so we could go to church, she was a, a lovely young woman, and she was um, a Seventh-day Baptist. It's an actually denomination where they celebrate their church service on a literal Sabbath Saturday. And, and they were fairly tight in terms of their understanding of what the sab Sabbath was. But understand here, we live in a culture where we really don't want to think about a Sabbath at times. 
And we live in a culture where the idea of work has changed, rest has changed, and where it, and where play fits in on that. Um, about six years ago, I went to Kenya, and I was preaching at a church. It was about eleven o'clock. It was kind of it was. I did two on Sunday morning, two different places, and in the second one, I came at eleven. It was packed with people, probably 150, 200 people. And the pastor said, oh, we already had our first service. They did it at 6 a.m. And the reason they did it is because of the, all of the people that would work and needed to work. So people would walk three, four miles to church, and then they would walk back to where they had to work, and they would work today. But the work that they were doing, the, the, the culture was such where they, they were putting bread on the table for that work, just to earn enough money for food for the day. Their work was fulfilling the basic needs of life. And I think this was true at the time of, of Moses and Jesus. But here's the reality for today. When a culture starts to have lots of money, we have to admit there's some things that change. Work becomes more than just the basics of food and shelter and clothing. You see, in our culture, there are not that many families where kids have to work to provide food for the family and food for clo- or work for clothing and, or to pay the electricity bill. Well, we need to admit that, the affluence of our culture. But that part of work, it, it plays into it because at least work is a part of fulfilling the pleasures of our life, fun, cell phones with 4G, toys. Matter of fact, I think when I think back to when our kids would work and they wanted to work, but oftentimes we had them save up and then buy something for pleasure. And if, or sometimes we had our kids save up and they wanted the right brand of shoes and we made them do that. But see, there is a change in the attitude that work exists for the weekend. That's the change. We have a culture that works for pleasure and for the weekend. And if you go back 40, 50, 60 years ago, the Sabbath was needed to sustain oneself. The Sabbath was for work, not work for the weekend. Matter of fact, um, this is a sticky one. But my dad modeled that for us. So he was very staunch on not doing anything on Sunday that he didn't have to do. Grew up on a farm and we had animals. The only thing he would do would be do the milking and feeding that he had to do. But the rest of the field work, he actually would set it aside. If we had hay and rows ready to bale, and we came to Saturday night, and we, we you know what, Sunday night was going to start the rain, that was a forecast, he wouldn't bale. He wouldn't skip church, or he wouldn't do that, and he would actually, no, he, he would rest instead of doing the rest of the farm work. For him, it was a very literal day in terms of ceasing to work. So, but what do we mean by the Sabbath? What does Jesus mean by the Sabbath? And being Lord of the Sabbath. Now, here's where I've got to drill a little farther with you. Turn to Exodus 31. I'm going to put it on the screen because there's something that we don't 
we don't take into account on this issue of the Sabbath. And I want to read this passage for you out of 31, verse 12 from Exodus. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep on my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath, and catch this, is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on the day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day, uh, Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant, look at this, obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. You notice one thing. It says a couple times in here, the Sabbath was also a sign of the Mosaic Covenant with the nation of Israel. And you might have noticed that, and I highlighted, we understand for all time, well, you go, okay, does this apply then to us today? Is it forever? And really, there's a critical way that we got to figure that out, because understand this, that word, that phrase, was used over and over again in the Old Testament. For example, the priesthood of the Old, for the, under the covenant, it says it was going to be for all time. The sacrifices for all time. But you have to catch this. It was centered on the covenant that was made to Israel. It was pointing toward the time of Israel. And the Sabbath was in place as long as the covenant was still in force with the nation of Israel. But guess what? The covenant was fulfilled. And understand what the heart of the covenant was. It was always that you're going to be my people. Why? Because I'm going to give you through you. A Messiah is going to come. And he was pointing to Jesus. Even that Sabbath in one sense points to Jesus. It's a sign of the covenant. And understand that makes a huge difference. But if you begin to understand it in light of what the New Testament says about the Sabbath. I want to point you to Colossians chapter 2. Look at this one. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink or with regard to the festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Catch that? But this is the key. These these, all of those that were listed, are a shadow of the things to come. There, it's not the real, but the substance belongs to who? Christ. You think of a tree, and the shadow is on the ground of a tree, but the shadow is not the tree. What's the real thing? It's the tree itself. And in this case, it's Jesus you see, even here in Colossians, Paul was battling certain forms of legalism that had come into the church at Colossae there, and including the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was a shadow. 
of that which is to come, and the substance is Christ. See, the Sabbath, though, it was really a type of grace, even in the Old Testament. It wasn't ever meant for a burden. It was to give them rest. You, you think of their work structure of how much it took the burden for their, in their lives. It was a benefit for them. But when ceasing to work became a shadow, it says that it's, it was just a symbol of what was going to be real. So, so let me put a statement on the screen just so you see it as well. Ceasing to work the Sabbath was a shadow of finding spiritual rest. It, it was always intended in the, in, the, in the future to have a spiritual meaning of rest forever in the work and the person of Christ. And so we experience a true Sabbath rest. It's not by just taking a day off. It's to stop and be reminded that Jesus is the Sabbath. It comes from a union with Christ, turning to Jesus fully in that relationship with him. He is the substance of all of those things. Now, do we still need physical rest? And I go, for some of you, the answer is yes. Uh, work, 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 and becoming a, a workaholic is not the goal of life. Matter of fact, it points probably to that that's where your meaning is being found. If that's all you want to do is work. But I understand this. Some people want to default to find that in, in, on a day. But, but here's, and I realize, by the way, that some of you can, are going to disagree. But the Sabbath is really not found in a literal day. It's about a spiritual Sabbath, finding rest in Jesus. I don't have time to go to Hebrews chapter 4. But it points that out again. Now, some of you, here's, here's the deal. Some of you have said, I'm going to take a day, like a Sunday, and I'm going to use it as a Christian Sabbath. And you know what? You are free to do that. And I would go, amen. Because I think maybe it would be better if some of us did that more often. But here's where I'm going to go to Romans 14. I'm going to put this on the screen. Let, the, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now here's the critical. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. We, we stand, we, what we believe is between us and God at this point. And the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So it is very appropriate to put, take a day and to put it aside as a Sabbath. But you just can't put that idea on the, the church as a whole. So don't let them tell you that you're doing something wrong if you do do a Sabbath like that. But be careful that you don't pass judgment on others by forcing that day on them. But here's where I think there's a very important application for us. The last application, are we pursuing Christ knowing that true rest comes from him? Or is pleasure and fun and the earthly diversions, is that your definition of rest? That is not a spiritual rest. That is not a spiritual Sabbath. 
See, we're called to be resting by faith in Jesus, and I think it probably needs to happen every day. I, I challenged you with fasting even last week. The idea there that I think we need to stop and we need to see Christ and go, we need to rest in him. So don't allow work to consume you. But I'm going to say this, Sabbath rest is not about vegging on the Viking game this afternoon or on some boat or on some exciting vacation or shopping somewhere. That is not a Sabbath rest because most of the time that doesn't include Christ. See, in Mark, Jesus is implying it's not about keeping all the laws about working on a particular day. And Jesus is sitting there going, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm greater than the Sabbath. I'm greater than the temple. I'm here. See, my disciples, they're feasting, learning to feast on me. And that is where real Sabbath rest comes from. I am your Sabbath rest. So the question, are we resting in Jesus? And here's where I want to put up one last verse here before we end. Now, the context of this in Matthew 11, he's announcing judgment, understand, for the people, the cities that have rejected him. And, and there's a switch taking place. Look at Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. But then look at verse 28. You know this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a great passage? To end here, some of you need to stop and you need to build in regular physical and emotional rest, especially in the physical area. But some of you, the toil is not about the physical labor. Some of you, there's a weariness where it might be surrounded by things at home, a marriage, how your children are doing, and maybe your job, you just don't, you hate it, and it's like a weight around your neck. For some of you, it might be health issues, or other issues that are at the core, there's fear involved, and there's an exhaustion with it. And if that's you, I go, need a Sabbath rest. You need more of Jesus. See, for all of those aspects of life, real healing isn't about taking a walk out in the, on the beach or in the woods. It is climbing up into the lap of our Father, our Abba Father. Or it's figuratively, it's taking a walk with Jesus and dumping our burdens on him, telling him what we're struggling with. But you 
you see the promise in this passage? I will give you rest. I'm going to give you that Sabbath rest that you need for your souls. Why? Why do we go to him? He's gentle. He gives us the real rest we need. See, Jesus is not only the Lord of the Sabbath, he is the Sabbath that we are called to embrace because he really is our Sabbath. That is where real rest comes from. And some of you, some of us, need rest from being weary. Let's stand and pray.